Can we have everyone in? And um, we're going to have the word. And our speaker today will be Brother Lloyd Crooks. He's, um, he's not a stranger to this district. And he's certainly not a stranger to me. I met him on my very first youth camp. I was praying, Lord, I want to meet some young men, my own age group, who I share things in common with, not just that we go to church. And I was really blessed in meeting this young man. And he has continued to be a blessing to me in the things that he encourages me with. He always has a sound word to encourage and to strengthen. But he's also a joker. <laughs> but I love the brother still. Um, I'm going to ask Brother Lloyd Crooks if you just come up here at this moment. I'm going to ask a convention if you just stand. Okay. I'm just going to hand over to Brother Lloyd Crooks at this time. If you just bow your heads. Okay. Um, for our speakers, Lizette, Lizette here. Camacho. All right. I ask her to come pray for me this time, all right? Pray that God's word have its free course and then be receptive to the word of God. Sister Lizette Camacho. Let's bow our head, please. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us here, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for keeping us alive, Lord, to worship you and to receive this word that we're going to, and to, to receive your word, Lord, because it's you who is speaking through this pastor, Lord. Bless him, Lord, and help us to understand more about you, Lord. Help us to be more mature in, your, in you, Lord. Help us to, to be better Christians, Lord, and be the light of the world, be the salt of the world. Thank you, Jesus, for this day, and I hope that you, you will bless us as well with this word. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks, Sister Lizzie. Uh, first of all, I'd like to say it's truly an honor to be here in your uh, youth uh, convention, and it's also really good to see, to renew old acquaintances. When I say renew old acquaintance, I'm saying these people are old. Um, it's good to see Brother Paul. It's years since I've seen him. He's quite a young lad. And Jennifer. And, um, so, and also see especially the young people. There was um, a sister who was leading the worship. Sister, I forget your name. You. <laughs> All right. And um, uh, a year, well, not years ago, came to Riot, came to Gloucester. And um, you always hear, you know, people complaining how so many people get saved and you don't see them again. And it was such a blessing to see some of the young people, especially from Gloucester, and also some of the young brethren from uh, Tudor Road. And you see them being active in church, active in the business of God. So many people get saved, they get lazy, and you don't see them again. But it's so good to see people who are willing and able to work in the house of God and on the program 
of God. It's so good to be here and I count it a great privilege and I want you to continue to pray for me um, that the Lord will have his way. Now when brother I don't want to let that one go. <laughs> All right. Um, soon come. All right. Um, when Brother uh, Colin invited me down to speak, he gave me a particular subject. And that subject was end times. And it's a subject I've spoken a number of times before. Um, but I always ask the Lord to give me more illumination. And if you walk with God, God must always speak to you. How can you walk along with someone for so many years and God not speak to you? And um, the subject which I'll be speaking to you from will be dealing with end times. So if we could go straight to the word of God in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and we'll read from verse 1 to verse 3. And then I'm going to jump to verse 7. to verse 12. So, Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 1 through to verse 3 and then we're going to jump through to verse 7. And remember the subject is end times and I'm going to speak it a different way to perhaps that you may be used to. So, if you have the scripture, could you say Amen. The Bible said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 1 says, Now we beseech you, thank you. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us as that day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. If we jump down to verse 7 of the same chapter, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteous in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they may be, might be saved. For this cause God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie that, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. If we go to verse 15. Therefore brethren stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. 
And I'll just stop there. When we speak about end times, the first thing people normally think about is the Antichrist, famine, earthquake, pestilence. Is a 66 going to come by a barcode or a tattoo or a mark? But I want to bring a different kind of thought to the end times. That all these signs are what I call effect signs, not cause. And let me, let me paraphrase that. That we read about famine, pestilence and earthquakes, but these are effects of a cause. These are signs to the world. And when the man in the world sees these signs, he runs into church to find out the cause of why these things are happening. So these are effect signs and signs to the world that something is up but they come to church to understand why these things are happening. So these are what I call effect signs. When I came in church, my pastor, he always used to preach that Israel was God's time clock. And there's an aspect to that. I remember my brother when they had the war in Afghanistan, my brother said to me, Lloyd, what's going to happen next? I said, listen to me. Don't look at Afghanistan. That will sort itself out. Look to Israel. But even that is an aspect of effect sign. But when we look in the Bible, close at the scriptures, there is a sign in the church which tells us what time we're living in. And that is a sign of the gospel. When the Pharisees went to Jesus and said, show us a sign from heaven. Jesus said, an evil and adulterous generation looking for a sign, but no sign shall be given it except Jonah in the belly of the whale for three days. And what he was saying was that as Christ was crucified, was in the ground for three days and rose again, that no sign will be given this generation except the sign of the gospel. I know some people looking for the Antichrist. But our business is not looking for who the Antichrist is. You can find out who the Antichrist is and still go to hell. You can find out how the sick sickness come along and still take it. That won't keep you. And I remember a brother in, in Nash Convention said, we have so much information, but very little revelation. Information won't save you. In fact, let me go back to Genesis. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, you had the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Knowledge didn't save them, but condemned them. And men are always choosing knowledge over life. You look how Jesus measured end times. He always pointed to the gospel. Matthew 24 verse 14 says that he talks about famine, 
earthquake and all these things and then he said and this gospel shall be preaching all the world and then and only then the end shall come second Thessalonians they were worried they were nervous because what happened at the time is that somebody went out saying that the end of the world is at hand but Paul says don't be troubled now let's go to this scripture now we beseech you brethren by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him that you not be soon shaken now let's look at this point here that when they understood even though falsely when they understood that the Lord was coming they were shaken they were troubled look what he says we beseech you therefore brethren and he's talking about end times that you be not soon shaken in mind or trouble neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us let me throw out a question here if you knew Jesus was coming next five minutes would it change your life if I have to get right with God because I have five minutes notice that Jesus is coming back there's a problem in fact if you look at Lord's Supper when you announce Lord's Supper people don't come church now the Bible said you wait every time you do this you show forth the Lord's death until he comes so every time you sit round that table you have the expectation that the Lord is coming and therefore I'm always preparing myself and every time I sit down at the table I'm reminded that the Lord is coming back and I have to make it right now you should not need five minutes notice for the Lord to come back I always like to use the illustration that if one day you get up for work and you have to be out the house for eight o'clock and you wake up half seven the things that you normally have time to do your priorities begin to shift if you wake up six o'clock all the things that you didn't have time to do you begin to do you see your understanding of time affects your priorities and your lack of time or your expanse of time will affect your priorities and therefore you can tell how people live whether they believe that the Lord is coming soon or not all the things they plan to do and how they walk determines their perception of how much time that they have but when they heard, they were troubled. So look what Paul says. He says, he, he reassures them. Then he says in verse 3, let no man deceive you. There was a time when they had the Afghan war and the Russians were invading Afghanistan and then they had the invasion of Iraq 
and everybody was writing books. If you remember around that time in 1990, and you go into your Christian bookshop, there's books produced, telling you how it's all going to come, and you're going to have charts and tell you what's going to happen, and this is where we are in God's prophetic timescale. And that's information. But notice how Jesus responded to the question about end times. They sat there and they saw the temple and it looked all nice. And Jesus says, not one stone is going to be left on top of another. And they said, when shall these things be? When shall the end come? And when are you coming back? And the first thing Jesus said is, be not deceived. He didn't go into naming the Antichrist or talk about 6-6. He said, be not deceived. Jesus would not say, be not deceived if it was not possible to be deceived. Jesus prioritized his instruction. He said, be not deceived. Paul the Apostle says, let no man deceive you. Paul says to Timothy that in the last days, Many shall be deceived, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Paul the Apostle, when he went to the church in Ephesus in the book of Acts, he said, grievous wolves shall come in, not sparing the flock. Let me drop a point on you. When we talk about end times, we never talk about deception. And as a consequence, many people are unprepared. They focus so much on the identity of the Antichrist. And barcode and all these things. And all the time they're not preparing themselves against being deceived. They said that in the FBI, how they train them in uh, recognizing counterfeit money is they get them acquainted with the real thing. They spend time with the genuine article, looking at it, looking at it again, holding up to the light. They spend so much time with the genuine article, they can, t- they can tell a counterfeit. They prepare them. Are we prepared? Have we spent time with the genuine article? Notice how Jesus, when he, before he talked about earthquake, he talked about false Christ, false prophets. Peter says, false teachers. Let no man deceive you. Be not deceived. Seducing spirits, doctrines of demons or devils. Deception. But look what he says. He said, let no man deceive you. By enemies, for that day shall not come, except there be a falling away. Now, I always used to think when I read that scripture that falling away meant that churches would be empty. That I'm going to go church, and because I felt that at the time I was the only one living right, I'd be the only one attending church with the pastor <laughs> and the ministers. And I thought church would be empty. There's coming a day where I thought that the falling away meant that people would stop going to church. But in our days, we have mega churches. And you hear it amongst us. 
We want to make a church. You've got churches with 25,000 people who attend. I didn't say Christian, people who attend. Big churches. More people are going to churches. You've got churches who are listed in the top 100 companies in America. They're not churches, they're businesses. They would, hold, they would own whole complexes, housing schemes, businesses, multi-million organizations. Millionaires sitting down in the seat. In fact, nowadays, most of the pop stars go to church. When I was watching, um, they had a picture of Eddie Long. Some of you may have heard of Eddie Long. And some of the stars that sat in the front row, Usher, I don't know about these, well, young people probably know about these people, right? Someone really called Usher and um, P, 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 P Diddley or something, I don't know. Something, but, but when the young people can correct me on that one. But all the stars are going to church. All the stars on the album cover, I thank the Lord. They get their award and say, oh, I thank the Lord. I thank my Savior Jesus Christ. After singing a lewd song, I accept this war for Jesus Christ, my Savior. Church has never been so popular in these days than any other time before. So I began to understand what he said, except there be a falling away. The word falling away in the original language literally means to step back. That's to say that it won't mean that people will stop going to church, but it means that people will step back from the gospel. We have never lived in a generation where the church or established church has authorized homosexual marriages. Never. There's been some wicked things gone in the past, but you've never seen it sanctioned. We have never seen an age where the Bible means less than nothing. Even with singing and songs. I was sharing this with my Sunday school. I said, listen. And I had worship leaders in, 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 in um, my class. I said, listen. Can you name a song written in the last five or ten years which mentions the blood, the cross, the death, or the burial or the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Somebody came with one, there may be two or three, but you notice there's a lack of the mentioning of the blood, the cross, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. We don't have preachers now, we have motivational speakers, psychologists, ego massagers. Talking about destiny and purpose, but nothing about holiness. In fact, let me show you something here. There was a film that was, it was, it was a documentary, it was called uh, Super Size Me. Now, what happened was, in this, in this, this uh, documentary, this man lived off McDonald's for 30 days, I think it was, a month. And what they did, they analyzed the effect of living off McDonald's had on him physically. The point I'm trying to bring out from, from raising that is that your diet affects your resistance to diseases. And what you put in determines whether you're strong resistance to disease. 
That is why that depending on your natural diets, whether you pick up coals just like that. You know, when I, when I was a young lad, it's a sign of old age when you say, I remember. And my mum would say, look, you need Saturday soup that build up your resistance. Now, if you're young and don't understand that, ask somebody who's over 25, 30. <laughs> All right, Saturday soup. But, you know, everything was in there. Carrot, yam, potato. You didn't need to eat for the whole of Saturday. But they, the point was, they recognize that you have to eat certain food to build up your resistance. Because if you don't eat a certain kind of diet, you pick up all kind of disease. And the same in the natural, so in the spiritual. That if you are not built up on the word of God, you become susceptible to all kinds of spiritual sickness. We have a generation. In this generation... They feed off spiritual McDonald's. There's no resistance to sin. No resistance to temptation. No resistance to discouragement. No resistance to depression and oppression. And even possession. Everything that every spirit that flies past, they catch. Because they're not built up on the word of God. The song says on Christ. The solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. On Christ. No resistance. No appetites. There has to be a spiritual appetite. There needs to be returned back to the word of God. There needs to be an appetite for hard food preaching. Let me drop a point to you. Second Thessalonians is not an easy book. Romans is not an easy book. You read some of them books in the letters in the Bible. They're hard. Remember, it's a letter, you know. Let's deal with the Thessalonians. Now, Paul the Apostle wrote two letters to the Thessalonican brethren. Now, remember, these are letters. They're not type sermon notes. These are letters. I want you to run with me with this one here. Man, I'm feeling so good, I'm going to come down. Right. Look at Ephesians, Colossians. These are letters. They're not sermon notes. They're letters of encouragement. This wasn't his teaching session. If his letters were so hard food, what was his preaching like? What was his teaching like? Paul the apostle taught so long that somebody fell off a window and died. Jesus taught for three days and he had to dismiss them. Three days and he had to dismiss He had to say, look man, the disciples had to pressurize and say, let them go. Because there was an appetite for the word. Three days. 
Think about that. The other aspect, remember, Paul the Apostle wrote quite a hard letter. That's quite a deep letter. People have Bible study over these letters, and it was just a letter. Can you imagine what his preaching was like? But not only does it tell you about Paul the Apostle, but what does it tell you about that church that could receive such a letter? Can you imagine that, Brother Bernard? Paul the Apostle, how he would set up a church, he'd go and he'd preach, and people would get saved, and he'd say, right, okay, Brother Colin, Brother Paul, you are now the pastors, and I'll see you in three years' time. And you might get a letter from me once every year. And these were his letters he just sent to that church. But it shows you how far developed they were that they could receive a letter like that. Was it telling you about the state of that church that Paul didn't feel any way at all in saying, oh, well, perhaps it's too hard for them. Perhaps they may not understand it. He sent a letter because he knew they could receive it. And in that scripture, he also mentions, I told you before. You look at that, he did that. They didn't have half what we have. Some of us, pastor don't visit me. They're ready to backslide and go to another church. Message preach. Who told, who, who told them about me? The man preaching my business. I'm leaving. But Paul the Apostle stayed in for a little while. Said, right, you're the pastor. You're the pastor. I'm gone and you might see me in three years time. And the church still existed. When he came back in three years time, there was increase and he could write them hard letters, strong letters. Why? Because they were brought up right. You see, if your diet is bad, you can't take that which is good for you. I went to, uh, you know, because, you know, I was, sort of, you know, I was up and down and whatever. And I used to quick, have quick food, you know, not, not proper cooked food because I was up and down. And I went to Africa with um, Pastor McCullough. And I was there in Africa and, you know, there's no Asda, no Kentucky, no, none of them kind of thing. And I was there the first morning and it this big bowl of planting porridge. I, 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 that's why I said, oh Lord. Big old Englishman like me with a big old bowl of planting porridge. And I saw that planting porridge, you know. Heavy, you know. But I had no other option. I couldn't go outside. I don't want this and pop down the shop. There was no shop. And I ate that thing. It was hard the first time. And it wasn't a big... And you know, when you go people country, they tell you you have to eat it, otherwise you insult them and all this kind of behavior. And I had to eat it. And you know what? After a while, I began to feel the benefits. I began to feel the benefits of these. And the thing about it is, the thing what is good for you most is not the thing that you choose. Now, we have market-driven churches. I had a good friend of mine, he said in his church, they handed out questionnaires as to what kind of messages you like preached from the pulpit. Now, some of us are shocked by that, but if you're not careful, that will happen in your church. 
You think these churches should allow homosexual preachers? Did it the other day? It was a steady decline. The Bible said, the little foxes spoil the vine. Little things creep in. Compromises creep in. And as a consequence, the thing that you abhorred yesterday, you embrace today. He said, let no man deceive you. you can, the only way you can build against being deceived is having acquaintance with that which is genuine. Or him who is genuine. You know that in scripture when they remember the seven sons of Sceva tried to cast out their demons? And then boys went up there and the demon said, Paul I know, Jesus I know, but who are you? Now in the original language it would imply that Jesus I know very well. And Paul I recognize by his acquaintance. You know like if I say I know, I know Mike Tyson. No, I've never been to the man's house, never spoke to the man, but I know him by recognition. It's a different kind of knowing. And Satan knows you by your acquaintance. For good or evil. He said, let no man deceive you. By enemies, for that they shall not come except to be a falling away first and the man of sin be revealed. The manifestation of the man of sin is based on the people's rejection of Christ. We saw this played out when he had, who do you want, Jesus or Barabbas? What you saw was a pattern of end times. The people were mad with rage. So mad they didn't know why they were mad. They said, give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. And the saying said, let his blood be upon you, your children's, children's children. And that was manifest in the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. And what happens is, you're seeing cause and effect. The cause of the manifestation of the Antichrist is based on the rejection of Jesus Christ. The Bible said, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. The mystery of iniquity is already working. You see that just like Jesus sent John the Baptist to prepare the way, so does Satan send his messengers to prepare the way. It is said that if a frog is put in hot water, it will jump out. But if you put it in cold water and heat it up, it will die. Because it gets accustomed and comfortable. And the same way in this dispensation, that if the Antichrist was to come 10 years ago or 20 years ago, people reject him straight off. But the mystery of iniquity needs to work to prepare for the manifestation of the man of sin. But also he has to work in the church. By causing compromise and deceiving the church. As a consequence, the man of sin is manifest. The Antichrist is the effect 
of the rejection of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must understand its cause and effect. We don't need to know the effect. We need to know the cause. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. And we will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall the wicked be revealed. Ten years ago, you see things that you would never dream now, even amongst us. Ten years ago. Ten years ago. Serious. It's some of the things you see nowadays. And, it's, and, and you know, the, the most frightening thing about it is it's, it's acceptable. It's acceptable. I was sharing the brothers about this man, minister, big big church, about must about eight thousand members in his church on TV. And him, his wife, he said to his wife, said, "It's you have to divorce me because he looks bad on my ministry." And he says, "God has shown me the woman that I'm supposed to marry." And so he tell his wife. Divorce, they got divorced, and within seven days, he's married again. Seven days. And still on TV, still has a big church. There's a shift. There was a time, listen, 10 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, there was a singer, and... um, he was um, caught in the act of adultery and the Christian record shop took all his records out. Took all his, that's how serious they were, you know. Took all his records out. We're not selling them anymore. Nowadays, people can do what they want and the worrying thing is acceptable. I saw this guy get up, he's got his boyfriend there, he was ordained as a bishop, Church of England. He had his boyfriend there at the ordination. And he turned around and he says, he says, I just want to be left alone to preach the word of God. But you know, that's bad. But the worst thing is the people are happy to have it so. Acceptance. Preparation. A breaking down. One of the things about AIDS nowadays, it breaks down the body's resistance. It's not AIDS that kills the person. AIDS just breaks down the resistance. And the same way there's a spiritual AIDS going around the world that is breaking down the resistance of the people of God. If you look at AIDS, how AIDS is spread, it's normally spread through sexual activity or through blood. But generally speaking, it's... it's, it's um, spread through um, sexual activity, illicit sexual activity, generally. The same way spiritually, you begin to engage in things which are ungodly. And when you engage in those things which are ungodly, you catch spiritual aids. That your resistance is broken down. And you become open to a whole catalogue of things. But let me give you an example of David. David, if you look in the scripture, is that David should have been out to battle. But David was on the rooftop. 
Pressing is not where he should be. If I use a modern version, that you should have been in church, but you were walking on the rooftop. And you saw something you shouldn't have saw if you were where you were supposed to be. So David, first of all, is in the wrong location. He's allowing himself to be exposed to spiritual aids. He looks over and sees Bathsheba. He looked. You see how it breaks down the resistance. Then he, after looking for a while, he then summons her. And then he lays with her. And then he tries to cover up. But what happened is, is that David ended up murdering Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. You see, what happens is that spiritual AIDS breaks you down and leaves you open to greater illnesses. And same way spiritually, this is what happens. Be not deceived. They talk about deception. In fact, turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2. Now, look at this, brethren. You have Jesus saying, be not deceived. Paul says, be not deceived. Peter now talks about false prophets and false teachers. Now, Second Peter chapter 2 says, But there were false prophets also among the people. Even as there shall be false teachers among you. Who shall privily, privily bring in damnable or destructive heresies, even denying the law that brought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction? So he talks about false prophets, and there shall be false teachers among you who shall bring in damnable or destructive heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evilly spoken of. Now look at this sign here and tell me if you see it today. Through covetousness, they shall they with vain words make merchandise off you, whose, merch, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth, and their damnation slumbereth not. And through covetousness, they shall with vain words make merchandise of you whose judgment of a long time lingereth not in fact could you go down to verse 15 of the same chapter who have forsaken the right way and are gone astray following the way of Balaam the son of Basor who loved the wages of unrighteousness now look what he says in false teachers he said there is through covetousness they will make merchandise or make money out of you. Look how recent the money preachers have come along. Not a debt I owe, but a seed I sow. See it and seize it. Grab it and have it. Name it and claim it. But it says here, through covetousness, they will make merchandise off you. You see, when you reject the gospel, you are open to anything. God will create preachers for you. 
If you reject the word of God, God will give you preachers. He will give you teachers after your own heart. That's why the Bible says, having teach, having itching ears. Smooth preachers. Smooth teachers. What do you want to hear in our preaching? If you notice some of these preachers, there's never a spontaneous move of the Holy Ghost. Let, 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 me, let me break it down. You see these preachers, they get up there, they start off slow, and they work it up until the end of the message, they begin to say, pull it down. God's going to give you that Lexus. God's going to give you that car. And everybody start jumping around. There's never a spontaneous move. There's never a move of the Holy Ghost right in the middle of their message. It's always orchestrated. Always worked up. Deception. Resistance to sin is weak. And the Bible said many shall follow their ways. And their whole purpose is to make money. He also uses Balaam as example. Balaam was a prophet who prophesied for profit. They paid, Balak paid him money to prophesy and curse Israel. He was a money prophet. These things have happened recently, haven't they? Mainstream now. Money. Money and more money. Preaching messages which are acceptable, enticing to the people. The Bible says, be not deceived. I'm going to come down on this point. Second Thessalonians. Chapter 2. Verse 10. It says, With all deceiveness of unrighteous in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they may might be saved how many times we see people come to the altar they cry they weep they have an experience and we count I said so many were saved but then a week later you don't see them Listen, tears won't save you. Shaking won't save you. An experience will not save you. I'm talking about an emotional experience. Unless you receive a love for the truth. People come, they cry, they raise their hand, but have they received a love for the truth? Have they received? They say, I love Jesus. But have they received a love for the truth? But isn't loving Jesus enough? But let me show you something here. The Bible speaks how that people came to Jesus and said, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out devils in your name? Have we done all these wonderful works in your name? And Jesus said, depart from me, you workers of of iniquity 
Now he didn't say that he committed any gross sin. What he was saying is, is that he did not receive a love for the truth. That's to say that when Jesus said do this, they couldn't do it. The rich young ruler came up and he said, I've kept all the commandments from my youth. And Jesus said, go sell all that you have. Give to the poor and come follow me. He couldn't follow Jesus because he did not receive a love for the truth. We get concerned and worried. And even as preachers, we beat ourselves up. But they need to receive for themselves a love for the truth. If it's in the Bible, I'll do it. That they might be saved. I love you, Lord. But do you love my truth? What did Jesus say? If you love me, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me. What did Jesus say about friendship? He said, if you do my will, then you're my friends. Jesus was hard, you know. If you love me, keep my commandments. You're my friends based on you being obedient to me. Jesus wasn't into emotionalism. He was into obedience. And look what it says. Because they didn't receive a love of truth, and for this cause God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. You look at, look at that. Look at that scripture there. For this cause, God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. That when people don't receive the word of God, they leave themselves open up to deception. When you see people follow this spirit and follow that spirit, that is judgment happening in their life right there. When you see people wandering here, I'm at this church, the Lord's told me to go to that church, he's told me to go to this church, he's called me to this ministry, he's called me to that ministry, he's called me over here, he's called me there, he's called me everywhere. What you're seeing is judgment. When you see people unstable, listen, especially you ministers, you pass, don't beat yourself up. When people don't receive a love for the truth, you can't keep them. You can visit them. But when you have somebody who doesn't receive a love for the truth, they will go where their ears can be itched and scratched. Don't beat yourself up, man. If somebody ain't got a love for truth, there's nothing you can do. They will get up and go. Now look what the Bible says. Verse 15. It's my last verse. Therefore, brethren, stand fast. Hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Notice the word tradition he used. The word tradition means handed down. It has stood the test of time. It has kept this person. It's kept that person. It's kept people. This word will keep you. We live in an age now that we treat 
try so many things to keep people in church. We have to keep people entertained to keep them serving the Lord. Gosh, man. Come on, am I being hard, Brother Mark? We live in a dispensation that we have to put on so many programs to keep them. The word is not enough to keep people nowadays. Prayer is not enough. We have dumbed down our preaching to accommodate people. And sometimes we insult our young people for their capacity to receive truth. Listen, my, my little boy is only 10 years of age and he shows me how you do certain things on a computer. If you look at a lot of our young people now, the things that they know now, I didn't know when I was their age. Man, they go in using PowerPoint, boom, 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 boom. There it is. Man, it took me years to learn that. And they're going in there. You know, they take on things and, they, and they're quick, they're sharp. The things what they're learning now is just amazing. But when it comes to the gospel, all of a sudden the young people are dumb. Oh, well, I can't preach that, you know, because they won't be able to receive it, you know, because. And you have these kids nowadays, they learn all kind of thing. And teaching us. But when it comes to the gospel, we back down. We dump down the preaching. Let's break it down. Mash it down like mashed potato. Puree it. Soft food. Don't offend anybody. There's one thing that will go out there and learn some amazing things. But when it comes to the house of God and the preaching and teaching of God's word, we dumb things down. And we put on shows and performance to entertain and to keep people. Listen, if the work can't keep you, nothing else will. Because the entertainment will stop. The good times will stop. And if you ain't got the word of God, the love of God, the love of the truth of the word, you will not last. But it's coming a day. There is coming a time that he that is holy still, let him remain holy. But he that is filthy still, let him be filthy. There's coming a time when the wheat and the tear are going to be separated. There's coming a time that the men will be separated from the boys. And the women from the girls. Listen, this, the, the days are coming. That if you don't know God, the spirit of the age will expose that. Examination. If you look at a test, a test tests what you have learned. A test examines what you have learned. And the same way what a trial does, the same way what temptation does, it examines what you have learned. I don't be found to be a spiritual dunce. Now is the time. Brother Ryan, Ryan, come at this time. Brethren, God is not only coming back but we're coming up to be tested we're going to be tested and everything we have learned as a Christian is going to be exposed
Gib es deine Richtung.